Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there, and welcome the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. I am... Johnny, I want to get, guess, want to say? Um, something like that. And you're, you're Caleb? Well, I am Benoit Blanc. I come from whatever accent Daniel Craig is doing. Yours is even worse, though. I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I say, I, I say, say, I'm Foghorn Leghorn. Foghorn Leghorn must have been his inspiration. <laughs> And hello, welcome to the first episode of season two. Woo! Woo! Happy 2023, everybody. Yeah, welcome to the Thunderdome, as I think this year is going to be end up being called. Is, is that what people are calling it? That's what I'm calling it. Oh, that's now. what you're calling it. That's what I think it's so blended up. you think that um, uh, there'll be lots of Australians dressed in leather fighting in, in domes? Well, that's just a, a Thursday in Perth, but. Ba-dum-tsh. Anyway, um, <laughs> make sure you laugh there, audience, because otherwise it's going to be very pitiable. They're all, they're all going, where's Perth? What's Perth? Never heard of it. Do you, do you think our audience is that stupid? Do you want me to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> In a way that means that we still have an audience left by the end of the episode. Now, of course, they know what Perth is. Of course they do. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised you do. Well, I know Australia, at least a, a couple of the major cities... What's the capital of Australia? Um, it's Melbourne? No. S- Sydney? No. One of them? No. Adelaide? No. Oh, I don't know that. Canberra. Oh, right, OK. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Tested your Australian knowledge in this film podcast. Um, anyway, let's get on with the matter at the matters at hand. So we are back with season two, and I think it's a good time to maybe refresh for the listeners what we do on this podcast so every week we have a little chat, first off about some news articles that are intriguing us in the world of film and TV, 
And then we go from there on to a couple of movies. One old movie and one new movie. Normally in the other order than that. Um, and they uh, and basically have something in common, sometimes tenuously. Today, I think, like, smack in the face, obviously. This is probably one of our strongest links in I a know, while. I know, But the second movie, the old movie's not that old. It's oldish. I think we've given up on the old on the idea of the old movie being kind of properly old, but we're, we're pretty smack dab in just choosing movies from the mid to early 2000s, maybe late 2000s, but we're sort of fine sticking in that area. Yeah, we do do some older ones sometimes. We, we have depends, depends on the mood. Depends on how the mood takes us. But Anyway, this week we are going to be talking about the brand new mega Netflix hit Glass Onion, A Knives Out Story. Yes. And following up with that, with Girl With Dragon Tattoo, the American version. Um, the link's pretty obvious, both kind of murder mysteries and both starring Daniel Craig it's as the... a Daniel Craig extravaganza. Daniel Craig, not just any Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig murder extravaganza. Um, so yeah, we're going to start off this year strongly. But first off, um, if our... Viewers and listeners, and we did have a few, we have had a few messages recently actually. Our viewers and listeners messaging us, which we always love to see. Um, uh, where, where would you contact us if you were a viewer or listener? Well, you can always find us on Facebook and Instagram under Untitled Film Podcast, one word. Yeah. Um, we don't, we're not going to talk about Twitter. We don't really use that. So um, Instagram and Facebook us about things. We put questions and things on there. We haven't done one for a few weeks, but. Uh, we often will have questions and things, and if you are interesting enough, we will read you. Let's be honest: if you write anything, we'll probably read your name out and things on the podcast. Yes, yes, indeed, we will. Yes. So I think that brings us nicely on to the news. Yeah, put some nice little bow on top of everything. Yeah, absolutely. And let's start with you, Callum. What is your first piece of news for the week? Well, my first bit of news is a bit of a fluffy one. Is that uh, Marvel is teased on on Stanley's hundred or would have been Stanley's hundredth birthday that they're going to do a documentary coming to Disney Plus sometime in twenty twenty three. Now, these documentaries from Disney Plus, especially when it's about their own products, they're probably not going to go warts and all. Probably not going to talk about all like the theft and, the theft, and like the litigation, litigation, and... theft of ideas. Yeah. Um, how much credit Stanley should have given to his artists mm-hmm. over his own writing, because his own writing was often, I am a teenager, what? Spider powers, when the art is often the thing that really made it pop. There have, there are some fans that question how much uh, Stanley is a bit of a grifter, but a bit of a kind of self-promoter, but that probably won't be seen here. It's probably going to be one of the more fluffy Disney Plus and he was a genius of the modern age. But it, I can imagine it will make for good Sunday afternoon viewing, uh, especially if you just watched a Marvel movie or something, or if you're thinking about it, that's that's a good thing to sort of put a bow on everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A fun little addition. I quite like there's been some good shows like that on Disney+. Plus. I quite enjoyed the one about the Imagineers that designed all the rides and all the theming and stuff for the theme parks. So I found that very interesting, and yeah, it's, that sounds like a very interesting show. Yeah, it should be. Speaking of interesting shows, Netflix 
has got that 90s show coming out on there. I saw that trailer. Yeah, which is interesting. So for those that don't know, I'm sure most of you will, but there was a show called That 70s Show that had some really big breakout stars like Topper Grace, Aston Kutcher, and um, Mila Kunis on it. Um, was one was a massive show, I suppose, in the in the is it the late nineties, early two thousands? I think it reached two hundred episodes, so double yeah. syndication. Yeah, I think it was like nine seasons or something. It went on for ages, um, and it had I always forget her name, Kitty. Who played Kitty? Anyway, it's got two big actors. It's got the, the bad guy from RoboCop as well in it. Yes. Um, and they are back. It seems like a lot of the original characters are back with cameos, but it is a whole new cast, and it's based on their grandkids. There was that 80s show as well that was attempted with, again, an all-new cast. It was a massive flop. flop. So it's intriguing to see if this is going to be an L. Um, The trailer made it look nothing more than formulaic... I was going to say crap, but I think it maybe is unfair, but very formulaic, and I didn't quite see the spark from the cast that there was in the original cast. Well, that tends to be the case with these remakes and reboots and 10 years later adaptations. A bit bland. It looks a bit bland. But we shall see. Maybe it'll be good. I quite like the original That 70s Show, for how for, even though it's very formulaic, because I do think it has a very good cast, and it's quite funny at times. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, you brought it the mild, and actually my first bit of news was mild. A lot of mild. <laughs> looks like a nice, mild sort of day. Nothing to get angry about, but also nothing to really raise the blood level. Now let's bring the spicy. Have you heard that uh, Courtney Love has accused uh, Brad Pitt of getting her fired from Fight Club. She was the original choice to play Marla Singer, or at least according to her, um, the role that went uh, to her in the Bonham Carter. The reason why he says that uh, he got her fired was because... She says. He, she says, sorry. Uh, she, um, Brad Pitt wanted to get the rights to play Kurt Cobain, and Courtney Love basically told him where to stick it. And then not long after that, um, um, and again, according to her, she got fired from it. And she says that what she wished she had done was tease him, string him along, saying, oh, yeah, you know, we'll talk later. You know, we'll talk to our lawyers. Yeah, I'm sure you'll buy it. Yeah, you, you can play. Yeah, definitely. Up until the point where she had filmed Fight Club, or at least according to her. And then after filming the part, she said, actually, Brad, nah, not going to give it to you because she was interviewed by Mark Marin. And she said that's what, she, in, in hindsight, that's what she should have done is just strung him along until she got the parts, until it had been filmed, and then said, no, bugger off. But uh, she, she told him where to stick it, and according to her, not long after that, she was fired. She even asked Edward Norton, because she was dating Edward Norton at the time, is there anything you can do? And he said, no, I, I don't have that sort of power. I don't know whether that's true or any of this is true, because, you know, not dealing with the most trustworthy source in the world I think yeah I mean I was going to say two things there one if I was David Fincher and I was looking at Courtney Love or Helen Ronan Carter I know which one I would have chosen for their acting chops I suppose Courtney Love Love is more obvious for the messy girl part Um, but Helen Ronan Carter of course is a much better actor and can act that whereas I imagine Courtney Love would have... Just was that. Was that. I also imagine if you're you know, making a, what is, was a fairly high-budget movie, um, having someone who's a liability is probably half an insurance point of view, point yes. of view and things as well. Also, we have to remember, we're looking from it from a 2022 point of view, where Helena Bonham Carter is held in very high regards, several Oscar nominations, very famous actress. 
Courtney Love, her fame has slipped quite considerably, but in 1998, she was the um, band, she was in the band Hole, which is quite big. Yeah, but she wasn't an actress, because she had done some acting. She had done some acting. She wasn't a big, like, she wasn't a big name. But she was probably a bigger name than Helena Bonham Carter in 98. Uh, so it, I don't know. I don't particularly trust much that comes out of Helena Bonham Carter's mouth. I think uh, half of it's um, what was the word? Half of it's exaggeration and half of it's you mean flat Courtney out lies. Love. Courtney Love, sorry, not Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> I believe Helena Bonham Carter in everything she says. Um, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. So, so about that's that. the spice. That, that's the spice. Maybe, I mean, maybe there was some. Maybe there was some. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Some like a nugget. Of well, yeah, maybe at some point someone had said, "Oh, yeah, you might be good for this role or something," and then and when just a, a movie is being way. cast, they consider pretty much everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's possible she auditioned, she screen tested, she may have even been quite high on the list of consideration. But it was at ninety seven. It was so, ni- it, well, it was ninety eight. The film came out, but it would have been ninety seven, ninety six. They were filming it. Brad Pitt wasn't that big then. He wasn't huge. He certainly wasn't the big so movie star. Imagine he, that he has would have had like tons of sway to be like, no, don't put that Helen Carter in but there. But he'd already worked. Uh, with, uh, uh, sorry, um, uh, don't put that Courtney Love in there. Uh, he ha- did work with um, David Fincher twice, so they, he may have had a friend inside no. Root rather than a producer inside Root, and saying no, don't cast her. But you know, with these things, it's all speculation. It's and all speculation. This is pure rumor. Oh, I know who I probably would believe in that situation. Well, quite. Not that anyone else has said anything against it, so, but, yeah. Anyway. So that was a spicy meatball, and now uh, on to your second piece. Well, my second piece is that in its third week of release, Avatar Way of the Water has made $1.38 billion globally. Oh, I think they literally just updated this pretty much before I came out. It's now one point four one something right. like that. I'm on deadline and it was at 8.53 this morning. Okay. That's American time though, so I don't know what that is now. But anyway, um, yeah, but what's interesting is it's not that big a hit in the US. Like, it's a big hit. It's, it's 100 million. 100 million has it made? Yeah, Roughly. just under. Yeah. So it's about $125 million a week, which is, you know, is, is pretty high. It's nothing to sniff But at. it's not... It's not... It's not um, the Avatar first one. 1 or it's not um, Avengers... End game and stuff like that. It's not quite that big. I don't think it's even Spidey big, is it? Well, Spidey was huge in the US. I think it was eight hundred million. I think that might be, if not the first, then the second domestic grosser after Star Wars: The Force Awakens. So, so it's it's quite an interest. It's a weird one, Avatar. I think because this is my theory. I haven't seen the new one. Have you seen it? No, no, I haven't yet. you, as you can see, me and Callum are really up on the, the, the biggest <laughs> I, new movie. I only saw the first one, like, in lockdown at some point. Yeah, I can't believe you didn't see that at the cinema. I saw it twice at the cinema, but it was long. Um, but no, anyway, I, I think the thing with them is there's not that much talking and exposition. And when there is, it's like in one scene. And then it's a lot of, like, people floating around and stuff. And it's very simple when it is. Yeah, so I feel like internationally it probably translates quite well in the same way that Mr Bean translates well internationally. Like I remember being once on a boat in Greece and just suddenly they started playing Mr Bean because he doesn't speak much, so it's quite easy to to watch along. So I kind of wonder if that is part of its well, charm. I think a lot of it is. But it's doing well in, in China as well, which is interesting because China's not 
that hasn't really released many Western films in the last it's been shutting two or three years. Yeah, so to, for that to have, which makes me think that there must be a Chinese production company involved somewhere along the line, but I haven't looked that in depth into it. But yeah, it's made almost $200 million there. In the UK, it's made $55 million, which wow. is uh, pretty good. Um, Mexico, 35 Germany, almost $70 million. France, almost $100 million. So it's been, it's a big, big hit internationally, but bigger... You know, again, fifty-five million in the UK is a big movie, but it's not. It's not, not kind of gargantuan. It's not James and that's Bond. Being big. dollars as well, yeah. So what's that? Forty-two million, forty-three million pounds, probably. Yeah, over three weeks, so ten million a week or twelve million a week. So yeah, you know, it's been big, but the interestingly, China, France, Korea, Germany, Mexico. Australia, they don't speak English, do they? Um, Italy and Spain. I do like, have to really apologise for this continued slander <laughs> against our Australian friends. I've not said it. <laughs> I love Australia, really. It's just... Uh... I don't know what this man has against the, people, the fine people of Australia. <laughs> Actually, I didn't say anything bad about them earlier. I just, you just couldn't name what their capital city was. Well, that's true. Um, is this going to be a running theme? Maybe it is today. <laughs> maybe. I mean, neither are films are made in Australia. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean um, uh, uh, Daniel Craig's accent might have gone slightly Australian at points, but... Perhaps so. Anyway, we'll talk about these things in the coming moments. But yeah, that's my piece of news. So Avatar 2, despite my... Actually, I predict it was going to be big, but it looks like it probably will do $2 billion, I would have thought, if it continues. Oh, I think so. Rate. It looks like it's going to be on that track, yeah. Which just still blows my mind because I saw hardly any advertising for it. So didn't see that. I saw James Cameron doing a few podcasts and things, but I didn't see like, you know, what it's like when this when when Spider Man's coming out, Tom Holland is everywhere. Big push for it. Yeah, and this just didn't. It, but then I feel, kind of thought that with the first one, like the trailer only seemed to come out about the, like it was a teaser trailer. It was literally just like a a plane going around the planet Earth, and then that was like nine months before. And then there was just a, like a couple of trailers a couple of months before come out. It didn't have like really long marketing campaigns. I suppose yet. the lesson is don't bet against Cameron. Yeah, yeah, it is it, he um, just somehow was it? I think I think it must be the name when people hear James Cameron Titanic Terminator. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, yeah, we're going to see that. Yeah, unless you're us. Yes, unless you're us. <laughs> to be fair, it is on my list. I probably will drag myself to see it at some point, but eventually, yeah, yeah, when I have time. Something I, something I have not, not enough of. When it maybe it probably go on Disney Plus. Yes, it Fox. will do. It will do. Maybe I'll watch it on there. Anyway, on to the movies. Um, first one, Glass Onion, a Knives Out story. Would you like to see the synopsis of this one, Cal? Yes, certainly. So the film is uh, takes place several years after the first film. Um, it sets just as sort of um, COVID is at its peak, and that is quite a big plot point because this tech billionaire played by Edward Norton sends several of his friends these mystery boxes. And once they solve the mystery boxes, they find that they've been invited to an island in Greece um, to do a murder mystery in his off-the-shore mansion, which is the titular glass onion. It's shaped like a glass onion. But one unsuspected guest is our... Unexpected or unsuspecting? Unexpected, because he isn't... uh, I thought you said unsuspected. Oh, unsuspected. No, no, I think I said unexpected. Well, maybe this is a hint to one of the characters in the movie. Maybe. (laughs) And uh, that is our 
hero, played by Daniel Craig, with his ridiculous accent. Um, Benoit Blanc. <laughs> what was that accent that you did was, then, It certainly wasn't an attempt at uh, his, whatever his accent is. I think he said it was Tennessee. Um, uh, tensions are quite high because they're all friends with this tech billionaire, but it's soon found out that they're all, they're whatever celebrity or wealth or mm. whatever it is. It's a bit of a is. one-sided friendship. Oh, very much a one-sided friendship. They're all connected to him. They need him to remain friendly because uh, if he if anything happens, it's them that's going to suffer. And as one suspects in a Knives Out murder mystery, there is a murder. But we can't say who, what, why. It's going to be quite hard to, to not spoil this one because, like, I remember when I first went to see it because I saw it when it was in its brief run in cinemas before it came out on Netflix. I said, I literally can't say anything because everything is a spoiler. Um, so yes, everything is a spoiler, except for the fact that it's a murder mystery. There's a murder. It takes place in a literal glass onion mansion, and Edward Norton is a tech billionaire who apparently is not Elon Musk. That's what <laughs> Ryan Johnson's been saying. No, it's not him. It's not him. So what did you think, Jonathan, of Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery? It's all right, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of... I almost feel like I need to watch it a second time. And the reason for that is a lot of murder mystery things, just in general, once you know the ending, they don't have a great playback the second time, in my opinion. One of the things that I really liked about Knives Out was when I watched it a second time, I noticed new things. I just, But I also just enjoy the acting and the story and the way it's shot. And I think it worked really well a second time. And I'm a big fan of it. Um... And I can't tell if I think this will work as well a second time. On the surface of it, it's bigger, it's flashier, it's got you know bigger actors in it and, and things. It's twists are twistier, yeah. it's turns are turnier. It, it, obviously, its budget's bigger, yes. you can tell, but probably about twice the size, I would reckon, from the amount of giant glass onion buildings and things there are in it. But I, I do think it had some flaws. I think it took too long to get going with the initial story. I feel... I didn't think it did it. I think a lot of the characters were pretty one... for Considering how much time it spent building up the characters, I thought most of the characters were fairly one-dimensional. I actually... I hope this doesn't work out as a spoiler for anyone, but I kind of guessed the ending... I actually guessed both bits of the ending pretty early on. Yes, because um, it's hard... Oh, again, hard not to spoil it, but there are two big things mm. rather than one big thing. Yeah, and I don't think that spoils it, because I think you expect there to be two twists, and probably. big but... thing one leads to the bigger thing at the end. Yeah, and I kind of guessed both of those things um, fairly early on. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all the acting. I thought it was well made. Um, I thought it was well shot. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a good... It, I wouldn't say if you're going to watch it, you're kind of expecting the best Agatha Christie ever, but it, I kind of feel like most murder mystery stuff that comes out at the minute, and maybe it's what set Knives Out ahead, is quite formulaic and quite similar and samey. And I kind of thought that this is up the top end of that. Um, so I thought it was better probably than both of the new, the recent Poros. Yes, there's been two uh, Poros and by Kenneth Branagh, and of course there's 
a similar thing called See How They Run, which I haven't seen, but I have. got mild reviews, mildly yeah. positive reviews. I, I enjoyed that. I thought it was a bit smaller, a bit more low budget as well, which was kind of fun. But um, yeah, I would put that at the higher end of things. But um, yeah, I, I'd certainly, I think it worked. I think it's a great watch. Um, as I have to say for every movie, it probably could have had 10, 15 10, minutes 15 to cut minutes out. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think you know, uh, I think it's a it's a good fun Ryan Johnson romp, and I would recommend watching it. Generally, I agree with everything. Um, I think that it just hits me a little better because I found it's zips zippier, and I liked that it focused more on. Um, Daniel Craig investigating because, of course, the first one, the, the main character really is not Daniel Craig, it's uh, Anna, Anna Diamas's character. So you don't really see a lot of his investigation. You tend to see more of Anna Diamas kind of scrubbing the tracks to put off the investigation, whereas in this, you do get to see more upfront of how his brain works. And I think that's necessary for a sequel because if we're going to keep being in this man's company, we are going to have to sort of spend more time. And I think with the next one, it's going to be... So this one has had about 75% focus on him, where the first one had 50, because um, there is a... And again, I'm not going to spoil this, but there is a secondary character who ends up being a similar sort of presence as Anna Diamas was in the first one, though not quite as much as of the no. focus. But certainly a lot of focus. And I think when the third one comes out, it's going to be a little bit more Daniel Craig, and then I don't know how many they're planning in total. I think. I know there's this, there's only one more contracted so one more far, contracted. but it could be it could be Daniel Craig's retirement plan. For it me, could no. be, um, and I think that was wise for this film um, because we, the, for a murder mystery, the only thing I would say about Knives Out, the first one, is it's not really much of a murder mystery. It's more of a murder mystery being deconstructed as the mystery is kind of going on a little bit in the periphery. Whereas this one is more a murder mystery. And I did like that it was a little bit more focused. I also think Daniel Craig, because he realises that this is his retirement plan, I think he got $100 million to make these three. But he doesn't have to do the stuff that he... The baggage that comes with Bond stunts and action scenes. And you could tell he was getting tired of being Bond. Yeah. And, and he, he, he's, he, he's, get, he's getting on. And he's getting on. He's he's not, not everyone's Tom Cruise. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and while he is in shape, he, he is not Tom Cruise. And so this gives him the Bond money without the Bond baggage. And I think what he's always wanted to be and is probably a... a lot less marketing. James Bond comes with a lot of marketing because there's a lot of product yeah, placement. Exactly. in it. Uh, and I think what Daniel Craig has always wanted to be is to be an adult thriller star or an adult drama star, so that, uh, or even adult comedies. And this gives him the chance, along with Defiance, Edward Zwick's film, and the film we're going to be talking about, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. He, this is the kind of film he wants to do. Mm. And he's having a lot of fun, probably having more fun in this film now that he knows his fortune is secure and that he has a second franchise now. He he just not that I think that he probably ever needed to work ever again no, after not. having had the James the Bond franchise, James Bond movies. Uh, so he he clearly he's he's skipping along in this film, and I like the focus on him piecing things together as he's watching from the background. There's a lot of him poking his head behind a bush or standing in a pool, uh, standing in a pool, yeah, <laughs> as it blares at him like a uh, warning: do not litter in here. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I was thinking that's the biggest stunt he had to do. He had to like. 
briskly walk away from a place where he threw a piece of litter on the ground and the floor told him not to yes. have litter. And this isn't a flaw so much, but it is a problem if it's going to continue. Is that this one has a few more cameos, which are fun. Like, um, I don't think it's a spoiler because it happens in the first 15 minutes. Hugh Grant is Daniel Craig's husband. Yeah. Or boyfriend. I was thinking, oh, maybe he'll be in the next one. Maybe yeah, he'll have a fun maybe. little role in the next one. Um, and uh, we have Angela Lansbury, uh, Yo-Yo Ma, I believe, was there for a second. Like, some quite eclectic choices. And a lot of name dropping as well. A lot of, a lot of name dropping. And it's fun. But it does get to a little bit of a point where, okay, we get it, Ryan. You're very inventive and clever and silly. Now just, just tell the story. Because mm. it, it's, a, it's a chuckle, but I'd rather just get That's on with it. That's where the 10, 15 minutes are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If 10, 15 minutes could have been lost from playing Among Us with Angela Lansbury, as fun as that scene was. Um, so, yeah, it's, I don't have any major complaints about it. And I think I enjoyed it a bit more than you did. Um, it's frothy, it's silly, it's uh, it's light-footed, and I think for an entertaining bit of fluff, that's what I want. So did you prefer it in the first one? See, I tried to think about this when it first came out of the cinema, and I think when you come out of the cinema, you're quite bewitched by a film if you like it, and you know, it ends up kind of faltering a little bit. And I said, oh, I might prefer it a little bit. And I think my conclusion now is that the flaws take it down, but... They take it down to about the same level because I also thought that its highs were a bit higher. So I think I'd put both films at, I don't want to spoil my rating, but at a similar at a similar rating. Okay, interesting. Now, I, um, I, I don't want to sound disparaging. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think maybe the reason why... You saw it before me. I, I waited till it came out on Netflix. Yes. You saw it in the cinema. And you said to me... I think I might have liked it more than the first one, and I think I was expecting to like it more than the first one. Yeah. And I don't think I quite did. I think I thought it too, got too, it took too long to get going. When it got going, it was great. Having said that, there was a few things that actually I think are very commendable about it. It's the first film that has managed to mention the pandemic in a way that's not like really not in a hand wavy sort of way. Yeah, either hand wavy or just yeah annoying. And actually, it was used as a very good little tell for each of the characters yes um so the obviously when they get on the island it changes a bit but when they're in the real world in the first 10 minutes of the movie it's not long um it's pandemic times and they're all cooped up in their houses and each one is slightly a different person shall we say and when they all go to go to the island and shockingly get to an island they have to go on a boat um they all turn up at this dock to get on a boat and their mask-wearing behaviour, I think, tells you a lot immediately about the characters. Um, and I think that's a really smart little thing. And that is things like that that maybe we'll talk about a little bit with the next director we're going to speak about, um, that some people get really well, do really well, and you can then go, oh, well, we can cut another five minutes of exposition out because we've told so much about these characters by just this little bit. Well, both David Fincher and Ryan Johnson are very detail-oriented. Yeah. Oriented, or, or, oriented, oriented directors. They they focus on small character quirks in order to tell a little story. I, I won't mention it. Something for, fell off the table. Oops. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I I agree, and I think I know. So yeah, I don't want you to. I've got two numbers in my head for my for my rating later on, but I I I, I, so I, I say it's a watch. Is that's what I'm going to say? I'm, I'm going to say oh, yeah, I would say it's definitely worth a watch. Every, you, pretty much everyone who's going to be listening to this podcast, I suspect, has Netflix. It's free to watch, and it's probably 
There's a reason it's trending, certainly in the UK, as number one film on Netflix. I mean, it's, it's, it's good fun. Yes, it's um, a recommend. Yeah, it's a recommend, exactly. And I think that takes us nicely to an advert break. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And we're back with the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. I'm Johnny. I'm Callum. And welcome back. So we've just talked about... The new Daniel Craig murder mystery, Glass Onion and Knives Out story. Yes. And what are we going to talk about next, Callum? It's the American adaptation of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the big phenomenon of 2005, 2006. No, it's... Oh, the, the, the book, book series. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, it's a bit, it was later than that. The phenomenon. Right, okay. Yeah. And this was the second adaptation after the Swedish one, which came out, I believe, in 2000 and, well, about 2004 or five, And this one came out, I believe, in 2008. Something along... No, it's later than that. I think it was later I than that. I think it's about 2012, I'm going to say. Maybe 13. Either 12 or 13. I should have queued this up already. I think it was, tw- uh, I think it was Christmas 12. Because it came out on, I think... Boxing Day, and they called it the. Uh, f- they were calling it the Feel Bad Movie of the Winter. <laughs> that was its tagline. Two thousand eleven. Eleven. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but yeah. So it's a. Uh, yeah, it's my turn. I suppose to, to tell you <laughs> about this movie. So we open on actually. We open on a James Bond esque title sequence. We do. It's a bit gothier though. Yeah, a little bit gothier with um, a Trent Reznor produced song with Karen O singing on it, singing um, the... The Immigrant Song. Yeah, The Immigrant Song, uh, which is is interesting. I think tells you a lot about where they were thinking about going with this. Obviously, there's three books. It was obviously going to be a franchise. This was probably the thing that um, Daniel Craig thought, oh, great, I don't have to run around so much um, (laughs) earlier on until he got Knives Out, which actually is becoming a trilogy. Um, And... Bar a little bit before that, uh, we start opening with Daniel Craig's character, Mikel, who has just blotted his copybook somewhat um, and printed some false information about a not particularly nice uh, Swedish industrialist and has been sued for libel. His journalistic career is in tatters and his um, his uh, finances have been completely wiped out. And he is feeling a bit sorry for himself. And along comes a a, a person with an offer, an offer that some would say you can't refuse. But to get this offer, 
these people have done a background check on him. They wanted to find out, well, is he a sleazeball who's been lying about this other person? Um, or is he squeaky clean? And can't this enters Lisbeth Slander? Salander, Salander, I believe. Lisbeth Salander, um, who is a young woman who is a ward of the state, even though she's 23, and uh, is a investigative techno-hacking genius and does a very thorough background check on uh, on Mikhail. And he... Uh, but all this unbeknown to Mikhail, of course. Um, and Mikhail goes and takes this offer from a kind of old fatherly figure of a big Swedish industrial family who have had a, a daughter who's disappeared, presumed murdered about 40 years before. He's in his last final days and he wants to know what has happened to this... Uh, well, it wasn't his daughter, actually. It was his, what would you call it, nephew? Yes. Or niece? Niece. Sorry. Niece. niece, sorry. Um, but he'd kind of taken her on because her dad was a drunk and had died. And he is certain that someone in his family is to blame um, for her disappearance slash murder. And he entrusts Mikkel under the cloak of... Um, uh, creating a memoir of his life to find out who caused this murder. And that's the, that's, the that's start the of the movie. That's the whole ball of wax. <laughs> <laughs> so, Callum, what did you think of Girl with Drunk Tattoo, American edition? Well, I have some similar reservations, I think, that you did about uh, Glass Onion. Um, and I think it's best to front load those because I, I like the film overall, but uh, there are flaws and I think it's best always to get the flaws out of the way first. I think pacing is quite odd because it's trying to cram a very popular book into two and a half hours. And it's the same problem that a lot of popular adaptations have is when the fans expect to see every scene represented. They don't want to take detours or to change or to, to really adapt. They want to see the book on screen. So what happens is that they end up cramming a 400 or so page book into two and a half hours, which means that every scene gets playtime, but you have to skip along every little thing and nuance often gets lost. So for example, you mentioned that uh, Lisbeth is a uh, ward of the state and the the person that sort of uh, her, the, the original person that is um, checking in on her, kind of making sure that she's sound, um, a competent mind, is someone that uh, she admires and, and loves. And you can see in the first scene where uh, when he she's going to see her, he's going to bring her, she's going to bring her a book, a, a present. Yeah. Uh, for, for him, yeah, him a, a present. Um, and that really gets a bit lost because the, that's the first time you just see this present and then suddenly he's on the ground. You don't get any of the nuance that this is someone that she admired and respected and loved. And that little problems like that arise, especially for the, through the first hour and a half is that it just keeps jumping and it leads it feeling too overstuffed but also a little bit too thin kind of um a push and uh, push and pull sort of thing um is that it only is details not nuance and the details of the book are the least interesting things about it because the murder mystery stuff it, it's not nearly as interesting as the tone or the the setting or the, or the place and they get that through with uh, gorgeous cinematography very great filmmaking because david fincher is a fantastic filmmaker very cinematic filmmaker so the cinematography does a lot of heavy lifting where the script and the editing is like okay we've got to rush we've got to rush because we've got to tell this story in two and a half hours so that's one issue another issue is that um 
there is a problem with the book that this sidesteps but doesn't resolve is that the character of Lisbeth, it's always been a bit of a battle between um, representation and fetishization because the book is written by a pudgy middle-aged, or was, he, he passed away not long after this book was published, um, a pudgy middle-aged journalist. And in the book and in the original film, the Swedish film, he, the main character is a pudgy, pudgy middle-aged journalist. And guess what? They end up having sex. Oh, really? The 23-year-old girl has sex with the pudgy middle-aged journalist who's a self-insert character. Now, this film solves that a little bit because it's played by Daniel Craig, who's hunky and handsome and stuff like that. Uh, but it never quite overcomes the issue. It just kind of push, pushes it to the side. So those are the major reservations. Also, the accents. Like some people are doing Swedish or attempting to do Swedish. Some people aren't bothering at all, like Mr. Daniel Craig. Um, Which, going by his American accent, is probably a good probably choice. Probably a wise decision. Uh, but that's a minor issue. It, it, you you start stop seeing it after a little while. But once it gets over that, after about, I'm going to say about an hour, maybe an hour 15, and all the details, all the players have been laid out and all the, the pieces have been set... It can then focus more on the filmmaking and the mood creeps back in, the creepiness of the location because he has to go to this uh, quite remote location, very um, desolate, uh, snow-covered, and it's a very good setting for a bleak murder mystery. And the filmmaking comes in, the, the tone really starts pushing its way, it, bu bullying its way back in, in after all the kind of... Detail, 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 detail. And then some nuance comes back. I don't think it ever quite resolves either of these issues. But at least in the last hour to hour and a half or so, it starts to be a fun murder mystery that is also very bleak in tone after the pieces have been set. Until the last 20 minutes when it goes a bit weird again. It does go a bit weird again. There's a whole subplot about her removing money and putting on a wig and... It's it's a little bit um, murder she wrote. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think um, I I I can understand why what happened has happened. They're trying to make of probably what could have been a four hour movie into two and a half hour movie. Yes but without missing out too many details. And it's something I do like about Fincher. So actually going back to that scene that you used as an example of where maybe it was cut too fast, I actually think worked quite well. So you've just been finished talking, you've just seen that she doesn't really get on with people, she doesn't really like people, um, and you kind of, you've got this from her character. And then she's sitting, sitting, waiting in a coffee shop with a book, with a little, with a little um, a bow, bow on it. it. Yeah. yeah, so you're like, oh, this is a gift for someone, you know that. Then it cuts to her leaving the coffee shop, looking a bit sad, the person didn't turn up, and you think, oh, who's this? Is it a girlfriend? Is it a boyfriend? Is it a parent figure? Who is it? And then it cuts and it goes to that person's house, knock on the door, doing oh hoy hoy or whatever she seems to do when she goes, hey, 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 hey. hey. <laughs> um, and then realising that, that person's collapsed and is on the floor. Now, you don't, until the next scene, until someone does a bit of exposition, know who that person is, but I think that actually shows straight away it's probably one of the few people in the world that she cares about, and I thought that did quite a good job of showing that. But I do agree. I think there's a lot of stuff earlier on where they've had to, where they're trying to, like... The thing with David Fincher movies is they normally feel quite, quite 
slow pace, quite flowy, quite... I suppose Fight Club doesn't so much, but most of them, yeah. I guess deliberate is the the right word. Yeah, very deliberate and very... Well, it it does feel rushed. The first hour, it feels like they've gone, we need to get this in here. What? what, Literally, you can always feel like they've cut around sentences or they've had a shot with, like, a bit of exposition and they've gone, we haven't got time for the exposition, the shot will just have to do. And there are bits... I gave an example, another example of why I quite liked them doing that is when he first goes out to go and get this job off he has to get the train there it's a four hour train journey from from uh, Stockholm um, and uh, they, he's obsessed with getting this 4.30 train and it's mentioned a couple of times I've got to get the 4.30 train I've got to get the 4.30 train and then when he starts to find out about the murder mystery and starts to get intrigued in it then it cuts to a very quick shot of the train leaving and just cuts back to them and nothing's <laughs> mentioned of it and I think things like that work really well and that's where David Finch is very good and very is very deliberate but yeah, I think you can't get away from feeling that first hour feels too rushed. The filmmaking does more heavy lifting than the than the, the script, script is yeah. allowing. And I think that's it. I think this. I think it's a weak script. And I think maybe, dare I say, it's, it's got a lot of fans. I think it's maybe slightly weak source material. I've never been a huge. I think that the problem with the source material is that all the interesting stuff is a veneer, like the goth tech stuff for it, quite a basic story for quite a basic murder mystery which kind of makes sense if it's someone's because it was his, pretty much his debut book and stuff wasn't I think it, it was I don't yes. know, he may have written books in the past but it's the first one that got published and that's probably why it was so popular because uh, if you're taking a book on holiday you don't want a dense yeah. book you want a fun read and it is a fun yeah, it's, it's, murder it's, mystery it's basically like a oh, what's the that big murder mystery writer that everyone takes a holiday Patterson oh yes yes James Patterson. James, Pat- James yeah. Patterson. It's kind of a James Patterson book with a bit more of a modern, techy, gothy veneer on yes, it. Yes, it is. Which, you know, if you it's kind of... great. You, yeah. For it's, what it it's is. It's great fun. But, why it sold millions of copies. Yeah. And I think maybe that, actually, with the script, is what they should have maybe gone back to. Because it, there's there's one hour, which is almost a perfect movie. Like mm-hmm. You'd give it 10 out of 10. But then there's an hour in front of that that is tonally and pacingly wrong and then you've got a 20 minutes at the end which is tonally and pacingly yes, wrong it is. and you could almost cut the 20 minutes off the end off and give that to the, the first hour and then I could and then maybe cut a couple of little bits of storyline out of that and I think maybe you could then have smoothed it over and made it into a consistent movie so I don't think I think and that's what it seems to be to me it seems to be a major issue with the script and it's just off balance and they've just tried to keep it probably too close to the book which I know people that love books well exactly oh, that's the issue things, is that, things, um, but you need to change things when you're making movies but you sometimes. absolutely do and um, I think that's the issue is that when uh, you adapt something that's as popular as this you have to also take into account that the same people who bought the book are going to mm. be buying the tickets and what you don't want to do is alienate your major opening weekend audience they're going to be the ones flooding in so you're sort of beholden to an executive producer that isn't credited as an executive producer because they're the people that will end up paying your paycheck for this adaptation so it's i it's the the screenwriter has been put in an awkward situation where they can shift and move and like adapt Mm. things adaption it's that's what it is like the bit the postscript the 20 minutes at the end would have been perfect as the opening 20 minutes for the sequel. It would have yeah, been, that's pacing, what I it would have been a lot better. But if of course, there was a sequel. If there was a sequel. But you just know that if they did that, there would be people, oh, they changed that thing. It's the same mm. issue that uh, the Harry Potter films had, that the Zack Snyder's adaptation of Watchmen had. It, uh, the more popular the source material, 
the more of a bind the screenwriter and even the director are in mm-hmm. to not leave anything out. I think it's in a way, and, and again, you know, all these things come down to dollars and cents at the end of the day, but I think maybe they could have had more if... if um, I can't remember what studio it is. Is it Sony? I think it's Sony. Uh, I can't I'm fairly convinced it's Sony. Um, if, because I think there was hacks related to it when, you know, when the whole hack gate happened... Yes, I think that I think that was a bit later though. Yeah, the hack happened later, but there was thing emails related to it in the. Hacks. Oh, I see. I see. Um, but anyway, I, I think they'd have been better off committing to three movies back to back and filming them back to back, but uh, and then that way they could have probably moved things around as need be, worked out what do we need from the whole storyline. But I think because they just signed up on one, they tried to make it work as a um, as, an, as you know a single movie in case they didn't make any more. And obviously they didn't end up making any more. Well, they did. They made a. They did make a second one, and they changed everything about it. Yeah. The director, the actor, Claire Foy, who plays the part, not Rooney Mara. And it was absolutely critically panned. Um, and I think, and it was quite a lot. It was like six, seven years later. Oh yeah, it was a long time and it, later. It basically got stuck in development hell because it made money. It was one. Of, it was in one of those weird situations where something makes money, but it doesn't make enough money to kind of justify the sequel in case the sequel isn't quite as good. A bit like Mad Max Fury yes. Road did a sim- although that sort is getting a sequel even, now. it doesn't... Uh... Yeah, it doesn't kind of go... So they're not like, oh, it was a massive failure, we'll write it off. And I think my understanding of knowing some... some I think from these leaks and things... That's me knocking the microphone, sorry, guys. Um, of these kind of leaks and things that happened was that David Fincher um, went over budget on the first one as David Fincher, I think, quite likes to do, because yes, he's a very he much a perfectionist. I heard one story, he's, when he was in um, Sweden filming it, he found this dock. There's a scene in a dock that's quite important for the movie. And he was like, I want to use this dock. And it turned out that the dock was owned by one of the people from ABBA on their like private island. And it was one of the very reclusive ones. What are the chances? And they were just like, no, you're not filming this dock. So instead of going and finding another dock in Sweden, he took photos of that dock and got someone to build that dock in Hollywood <laughs> and then CGI on the snow, um, which is a very David Fincher thing to do. Yes, very much so. Um, but that in itself cost something like $2 million to do. So a movie that probably could have been made for very nicely and looked great for $80 million ended up costing $120 million. And if it cost $80 million, he'd have probably got to make a second one. Yeah, probably. Which is a very similar situation to another thing so I'm a massive David Fincher fan um, and Mindhunter apparently a very similar thing happened apparently the second season he ended up he wasn't ha- you know which is fair enough but he wasn't happy with the scripts and things so he ended up getting the scripts rewriting which then delayed production which then put the costs up of the production which then meant people carry- that the actors contracts lapsed before the third series could start filming and, and it, co- it was a lot of stress for him and it cost Netflix a lot of money and again it was something that you know, filmy people like, and it was a really good prestige show for them, but it wasn't something that, you know, it wasn't Stranger Things getting those kind of numbers and stuff. So it didn't really justify that it went $20 million. I don't know how much it went over budget, but I'm just going to say $20 million is a number. You know, it didn't justify that it meant 20, went $20 million over budget and cost nearly as much as Stranger Things to make. And, it, and that was the problem. I don't think... David Fincher has a very uncompromising vision, which is what I love about him and I really respect about him. Um, but I think sometimes that doesn't add up with the accountants in the film studios. So sometimes, <laughs> unfortunately, that kind of knocks on and, and causes issues, which is a bigger issue. But yeah, you know, I think that is where there is in you know some issues with the film is that it's it's part of a series. It feels like part of a series, 
but they never knew they were going to get all of them made, which I suppose is always the case, almost always the case with series. But, it's true. Um, yeah, and it kind of pushed it off balance. I kind of agree with you from the... Um, kind of agree with you from the accent point of view just either pick that everyone does their own accents or everyone should have to do an accent don't have some and some um i much would rather they did a chernobyl and did it that style than um do what this whatever this is this is a bit farcical but at the core of it it's a very good fun murder mystery cinematically it's beautiful the acting overall is all very good I think it's a very well put together film. Do I think it's David Finch's best film? No. <laughs> not at all. No, not close. It's not that <laughs> close to Zodiac. It's not even really close to like um, Gone Girl and things, which, um, yeah. But, you know, it's what, probably a mid film for him. It's definitely probably better than Panic Room. And, um, oh, it's certainly better than Panic Room. And stuff. But, um, yeah, I think it's a good fun two, well, fun's the word, but a good two and a half hour movie to watch if you haven't seen it. And both films. Daniel Craig is completely at ease. I would argue that he's possibly better here than he is with Bonds because his discomfort with Bonds started showing. I only felt like he enjoyed it for two or three movies, yeah, and then it was so. just too many stunts. Maybe too much. Skyfall was the last time he was really okay with it, and after that, it's like I'm just knackered. But, I mean, now. what year was what year was um, Cinema Rouse? It must be about two thousand two thousand five or six. And last year was the last movie, yes. which admittedly was filmed in 2019. It was. So, I mean, he was in his mid-30s when he started. Yeah, and now he's... And now he's in his uh, early to mid-50s. Yeah, early to mid-50s. So, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I will be able to run better at 35 than I will be at 55, you know. Well, exactly. And, and, I mean, he just so. seems tired, whereas here, in both films... He seems to be more at ease doing the kinds of films. Like this, these are the kinds of films he wants to do. I think he was interviewed around the time this came out, and he said, "You know, I, what I love about cinema is watching an adult film mm-hmm. that's made by adults for adults." And I think this is the kind of thing he wants to be doing for the rest of his career. Now that he can, yeah, absolutely. No, and I think it's quite nice to. He, I think he's a good leading man. I, I like Daniel Craig. I've got a lot of time. For yes, him. I've got a lot of time for him just in general, but as an actor. Um, and yeah, and I think it, it, it comes across well in this movie. So I think that brings us probably nicely to the end of the Puts reviews. a nice little uh, wrap on it, a, a bow. So let's. it's time for our little sums up and a, um, a score. So Callum, what um, do you think of Glass Onion? Uh, it's zippy, it's fun, it's frothy. Uh, it's very much the kind of thing that uh, is uh, the best of what Netflix do. Um, there are some niggles, uh, but uh, also some very high highs. I think like you, you said that you're um, stuck between two scores. If we could give 0.5s, I would give it a 7.5. But the question is, is do I bump it up or do I bump it down? And I think the first film I gave an eight, or would give an eight, uh, if we were to review Knives Out. And, you know, if if you were to ask me not in a podcast situation, it would be 7.5, but I think I'm going to, for the niggles that um, are persistent and length and the cameos being a little bit eye-rolling, I think I'm going to kind of go to seven. So seven out of ten for Glass Onion. I kind of agree with most of what you said, and they were the two numbers I had in my head. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. And in my head, I gave the original eight, 
um, out of ten, maybe even an eight and a half. Maybe. Um, and yeah, I think this to me, I, I was leaning towards a seven as well. I think I. Yeah, I think the the. the it's hard to say because I think it's from an enjoyment point of view it's easily an 8 yes but from a filmmaking point exactly. of view it's it's a 7 it's a, and it's I think a as one. a film podcast I'm going to give it a 7 but maybe as an audience member I'd give it an 8 yes. that's almost kind of what you said yeah, well. I think Ryan Johnson his, he's he's maybe, quite a crowd breezer isn't he he's quite a maybe too clever for his own good yeah he can end up tying himself into knots a little bit to yeah, show just how clever he is. And this is something that goes through his entire career, even as early as Brick. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of, you can see it almost feel Ryan's elbow in your ribs mm. going, did you get that? Look at that film reference. Did you see how in the background I put that thing in? It's like, yes, Ryan, we did. Yeah. So no, I, I agree. And so no, I think so. We, we're both giving it 7 out of 10. That's a, yes. uh, quite a... Well, I don't know if it's a first, but it's quite a... a Rarity. I think so. And um, so, yeah, Golden Dragon there too, American edition. I think that the first hour is quite killer and the last 20 minutes are too. And it's also, it's rather than sidestepping some of the bigger issues that the book has and the book, in terms of plotting and in terms of some issues that are actually kind of like, uh, especially about that, the, the age difference between the main couple and the fetishization of the fact that a self-insert author has given himself a 23-year-old goth girlfriend. It doesn't make it any worse, but it does sidestep them rather than solve them. And that's also of a plotting as well. It's only when David Fincher is really allowed to go unleashed that, that it really becomes a good, fun film. But unfortunately, that's only for an hour of honestly what is actually kind of like um murder she wrote the goth episode so unfortunately the flaws are a little bit too overwhelming for me i have to give it a six i think i think a six out of ten and i would like to give it higher because the good stuff is very good but um the the first hour is like my god would you calm down with this structure just breathe go it you don't have to adapt every single scene just because it's there and they started to annoy me a little bit and then when it stopped annoying me I was like okay fine but I don't think it ever got you said um, when it's good it's a 10 out of 10 I don't think it ever was a 10 out of 10 for me but it, it came close in places but I think it, I said I, close to a 10 close. out of 10 <laughs> I, think, uh, I think I was more 8 out of 10 when it was good but that first hour and last 20 minutes like good lord this is not this is stressing me out this structure just Stop for a minute. Calm down. Mm. But yeah. I liked it more than you, I think, overall. Um, I liked that middle section. If if the whole movie was as good as that middle section, which, like, you know, it's not quite Zodiac good, but I would give Zodiac as one of the few movies I'd ever give a 10 out of 10 to. Yeah. Um, Which I think you probably agree with. Oh, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) And, um, but yeah, it gets gets close to those highs at points. Um, But the first hour is a bit of a mess um and the last 20 minutes is a bit unneeded but i just i do like the atmosphere i love the trent Reznor soundtrack i must forget about atticus ross um because he does a lot of it um i like the acting i like it overall um if yeah if the whole movie was that movie in the middle i'd give it a nine out of ten if it that whole movie was the movie the first hour and the last 20 minutes 
I'd give it somewhere between a five and a six out of ten. So I'm, I'm going to give I'm going to split the difference and give it a seven. Nice. So slightly higher. Slightly higher. Um, but yeah, I still think it's it is a flawed movie, and uh, I actually think the teaser trailer for it is one of my favourite trailers of all time. Um, oh, I remember that trailer. It caused a big fuss. It was big and filmed there. Yeah, and I was really, really excited for it. And I did enjoy it. And it's that whole thing, when you're really excited for something, you, you know, maybe like it a little bit more than, than you should at the time. And actually now watching it 10 years, 11 years later, which blows my mind that it was that long ago. I know. Um, quite mad. Yeah. Um, and I don't like it as much as I liked it 11 years ago, put it that way. So no, it, that's the, the reviews of the week. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening once again. Um, have a happy new year. Yes, have a happy en- new year. Enjoy this 2023. Lots of fun in store for you for the upcoming year. And cheerio for now. And see you later. Bye. Bye.